a Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show on RacerX.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,000 podcasts delivered with over 7 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out and donate via Patreon if it suits you. And as always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. Legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Brought to you by Alpine Stars Protects. Thanks for checking it out, everybody. Alpine Stars and FlyRacing.com. Of course, the folks at WPS now carrying Alpine Stars. Please check them out. Millsaps, Baggett, Pike, Canard. Those guys use Fly Racing. Antignap Brothers. And uh, the Fly F Carbon, F2 Carbon Helmet with MIPS. Straight out of the box, onto the track. It's a factory bike in a helmet. Uh, fantastic uh, product. Lots of colors and sizes. Please check them out. FlyRacing.com. And uh, presented by Alpine Stars Protects. All right, I'm Steve Mathis. Uh, with me on the line, uh, a guy who's uh, uh, got his finger on the pulse of the MXGP scene. And I thought with the series well underway, we would do a little bit of a GP uh, um, check-in and see how things are going. The MXGP series just wrapped up in uh, Latvia. And uh, no better man to talk about it than uh, on-track, off-road, among other things he does. Uh, owner of on-track, off-road, Adam Wheeler. What's up, Adam? How are you? Hey Steve, not too bad. How's things? I'm all right. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on on track off road. Uh, please check it out. Digital magazine uh, every couple of weeks. The the American coverage in on track off road, Adam, is just fantastic. If you ask me, it's just great. <laughs> how 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 lucky did you get like last weekend? I mean, not only did you have like a, a sensational finish like that in Vegas, but it was also your hometown. Yeah. So, um, you know, all you had to do was, like, roll roll home, you know, and that was it. Get into bed, and you, you're done. Oh, it was great. It was fantastic. By the way, the latest dig- digital issue, Zach Osborne on the cover. You went with an American rider on the cover, Zach Osborne, and um, somebody that you know personally from your time over there and that I know as well, and we're both, uh, we're both stoked for uh, the old 16. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a lot of, uh, I think, you know, people over in Europe, I mean, Zach was, I can't even remember how many years it was here now, maybe four. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, he won a lot of fans just for, like, you know, the way he rode the bike and his demeanor and stuff. So it was really cool to see, you know, him get that title. Obviously, the Alden Baker effect must have had a, a positive one, must have well, rubbed off well on him this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it was very cool. I mean, I, everybody's talking about how it finished, and you kind of feel a little sorry for Savachi. But, uh, you know, hearing your guys' podcast the other day with uh, Wigan and um, JC was pretty entertaining. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was cool. Yeah. You I know, th- it's kind of interesting also to see just how many how many GP school guys are, are cracking on in the Supercross. I mean, before Kenny got hurt, he was obviously the top man. Marvin's really graduated on the 450s. Mm-hmm. A guy like Ferrandis comes over in his first season. I mean, I think that the next one you've got to keep an eye on is Jorge Prado because he's already made a bit of a splash in the MX2 uh, World Championship so far. Mm-hmm. He'll probably do another year, I think, on that factory KDM 250, but then he'll be over there. And he'll, he'll adapt quickly, because he's just got the technique and the maturity to do it. So yep. keep an eye, because he could be the first ever Supercross winner from Spain. And how is his Supercross skills? Are they are they good? He's got the, the good technique to do it? The winter before last, I mean, he was—he had only been riding a, a two, uh, like a, a four-stroke. He'd only jumped on the 250 for a couple of months. Mm-hmm. And he was over in the U.S. for, I think, six to seven weeks and already won, like, a lot of fans, you know, around the KTM setup. Yep. And I think I might mention this on the show before, but he's got a kind of a unique contract with KTM where, you know, his, his deal is kind of explicitly with a factory. So he can, he can morph between different teams without having to worry about conflicts with gear or any other kind of, you know, third-party involvement. Right. He's a KTM rider, so if he's going to go into Troy Lee, he'll, he'll use those guys. If he's going to be in MX2 Rebel KTM, he's going to be with those guys. Right. So, 
you know, they, they've locked him up for a good few years. So, uh, I mean, it's only a matter of time before he goes to the U.S. I think he'll, he'll, he'll hit yeah. the ground running. Yeah, I've heard that he wants to go and everything else. So we'll see what we'll see how he does. The only reservation I have is is what is he sixteen? Yeah. So you look at sixteen year old uh, Prado and you look at sixteen year old Jeffrey Hurlings, and Hurlings was uh, a much better rider than than Prado. Um, and you know, but then again, Jeffrey didn't have the supercross skills that he does. So it'll be interesting to see. But um, back to Osborne, yeah, he it was a great story, man. I. You look, you and I have been doing this a long time. You don't necessarily cheer for people um, so much, you know, as you get on and you meet these riders and you become friends with some of them, but some of them you, you know, you're friends with, but, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter who wins, you know, as long as you just see a good race. But I think with Osborne, Adam, it, it goes a little bit beyond that because of um, he's one of those guys that asks you how you are doing before you ask him. He's one of those guys that, you know, asks how your your wife is doing or or what's up with you before he starts talking about his program and his training. He's just, and I think some of it was because he was forced to go over there at a young age. Some of it is the fact that he, you know, he ha- he likes off road. He he likes the GPS. He raced them. I think he's just got a good grasp on everything, and he's a guy that, uh, uh, frankly, I cheered for. I wanted him to win, um, just because of how he is as a person. I think he's got a really good kind of underdog element as well. You know, he's always a rider that always, always seems to be on the edge of things. I mean, there's plenty of, of those guys around, but like mm-hmm. you say, that kind of character kind of set him apart from that. But he was always on the edge of doing something, and then you know, because whatever reason, he wouldn't make it. You know, I mean, I even I remember one year he won the British Championship, which, you know, it, okay, in, in the international scheme of things, it's not a terribly mm-hmm. fantastic accolade, but it's still a championship. It's still something to put on put on the CV, on the shelf or whatever. Yep. And, you know, I think he crashed at Fox Hill and, and I had a concussion and it was, you know, it was kind of up in the air whether he would actually seal that title that year. But, uh, you know, he went on to do it and it was just, you know, he, he jumped out of, he jumped out of MX2, Probably did a good time because you know he had that Supercross showing, wanted to go back home. Um, I think there was pe- there are people back here who are just like keeping an eye on him. You know, the same you've got the Ferrandis fans in France, even yep. Marvin, even though he's been over in the US now, I think for six years. You know, he's still got a lot of European following. So right. I think it was cool. It was cool to see a guy that you know just wants to race kind of any bike, any time, and, and has experimented a lot on the international motocross scene, just, just doing well. I don't think anyone regretted in that. Well said. Um, seven rounds down in the uh, GP series, just wrapped up in Latvia. And Tim Geyser was kind of running away with this a little bit. Antonio Caroli uh, got off to a couple of slow starts in Indonesia and Argentina, and Geyser was, was doing well. And this weekend in Latvia, this past weekend in Latvia, it all changed. Uh, Geyser crashes both motos, crashes out of Moto2. And our guy at the, the 222, uh, moves into the points lead, and uh, so I'm going to ask you, Adam. Like, how's this battle been between those two? We'll talk about Hurlings and Faber in a second, but right now those two are kind of the class of the field. And uh, tough break for Geyser. Yeah, it's, it's. I don't know. It's really hard to call at the moment, Steve. And we've had like five winners in seven rounds. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's kind of unusual. I was looking at the stats the other day, and it's kind of typical for MXGP to have between five and seven different winners a year. But mm-hmm. you know, we're a third of the overall third of the way through the championship now, and you've already got that that number creeping up. I mean, Geyser was sick the first two rounds. Uh, Tony Tony Kairoli took advantage of that. The second round in Indonesia was a complete freak because it was monsoon season and yep. the track was washed out. Um, but then he kind of chimed in. Argentina and Mexico was kind of like a little bit of the guys that we saw from last year. Um, and I've written before that, you know, this, this kid, 20 years old, with another year of experience, another year of confidence, with a new Honda, which seems finally to be one of the probably the best, if not one of the better bikes in the class. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a hell of a package, you know. But then again, you know, if you look at it, 2016, Geyser had a couple of narrow escapes. There were some moments where he had crashes, and he was lucky to kind of walk away or hobble away in some mm-hmm. cases, and he was okay for the next week. You know, and a couple of his rivals, as we've seen in previous years, that's two years where we've had MHGP rookies win the title, uh, February, you know, profiting from a couple of other injuries in 2015. Um, and now it's kind of bit him back. And he had a big crash, like we said, in, in, in Latvia last week. But uh, by all accounts, nothing's kind of broken. He should be fit to race the German GP in just yeah. over a week's time. But, 
you have to wonder if he's 100% because he's another one of these guys who works very closely with his father, is very kind of rigid in his, his physical physical training and his program and stuff like that. So, um, you know, we have to see if this shakes him a little bit. But the best thing for the series is has been Cairoli coming back because right. it's been a year and a half at least of, you know, this guy who's, you know, won six championships in the Premier class just not looking anything like, you know, the guy that mm-hmm. dominated from 2010 to 2014. So, again, he's a little bit like the one to catch. And if anything, the kind of disappointing part of MHGP so far is you've seen guys like Max Nagel on the factory, Escobar, I Clem up the sound on the factory, Kawasaki, you know, those, those, or even Jeremy and Van Horbeck or Roman Febber on the Yamaha, not really catching up to meet his level. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's been a lot of kind of parity at the moment in MXGP. A lot of that's been down to the start gate as well. You know, this year in MXGP, there's been this new kind of metal yeah. grid system on the floor. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's taken out the need for gate prep, and a couple of those guys are very sort of specialists with that. Um, it's, it's meant a whole kind of rethink. And I think some riders took a little bit of time to get their whole setting between tires, between, you know, the traction control software, everything just to get that dialed in. Yeah. And somebody like Max Nagel was really yet to make a, like a, a good start. And Latvia was signs of recovery of that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, he was a guy, Anthony Perone and the team manager saying, lives on his start and just hasn't had it going this year. Yeah, you're right about uh, Geyser uh, being, we were saying, you know, he went to that SMX Cup and I guess he just he just crashed and crashed and crashed. And, and he kind of... It's something again, like yeah, we we um, it's kind of not talked about that much. He does have moments. He does have crashes for a multiple world champion. Um, you know, he's maybe the the exact opposite of, of somebody like Ryan Dungey, Let's say for you know for such a winner for for such a champion, he can throw it away. Yeah, I think that's something to do also with you. I mean, mm-hmm. again. He's somebody who's fast-tracked his way through every level. You know, he, he won the 125. He jumped into the 250 and got out of there quick and started in MX2. You know, within uh, a year, season and a half, he'd won his first GP. A season later with Honda, he's suddenly world champion, was hurling, getting injured, jumped into MXGP, does the same. So, you know, sometimes you almost won't expect too much of this kid because, again, 20 years old, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal age. I remember Ricky Carmichael last year in, in the Fox uh, presentation you know, in Irvine before the, mm-hmm. you know, the Grand Prix in Glen Helen, which we can talk about a little bit later. But he he just sort of made a facial expression as if to say, oh, 20 years old, you know, when Geiger went on stage to, to talk about his season. Yeah. Um, so it's, it is pretty astonishing. I mean, Tyrone's 31. Um, someone like Nagel, I think, is coming out 20, 28, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Paulan is 27. The Sal 27, Simpson 29. Yep. Um, you know, these guys are all kind of like hitting the peak of their careers, and Simpson's really early. How about that ride by Caroli in Italy? Fantastic! Everybody over here talking about it. Um, that's 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 what he does. That's what he that's that's him in a nutshell, right there. Yeah, it was one of those special ones. I remember standing by the finish line, and he was he had moved up into like fourth or maybe fifth position, and and as he was going over this jump, this finish line jump, he was. You could see him looking around further up the track to see where Geiger and like Bobuchev was. Right. And I remember thinking, look, just forget it. You know, why, why are you bothering to look? Because even if you do catch them, your chances are passing them. Yeah. But then he used that same spot on the step up, you know, <laughs> yeah. like two or three times past Paul and past the Sal. It's like, oh. You know, I wrote about it as well as like Stefan Everts in the Moor when he found that one little place to pass on a track that's almost impossible to pass on. Yeah. And just uh, drove everybody crazy. So. The fact that he did it on the last lap, you know, and passed Bobby Shepard second and took the GP was uh, was a crowning moment. It's cool, right? It shows that you can still he's still got it. Yeah. I remember two yeah. years ago when he signed his KTM deal, you know, he was talking about racing until 33, 34, and you're kind of thinking, really? You know, <laughs> I mean, he won everything there is to win. Yeah. The chance of closing down Stefan Evitz's title hall and GP hall is, is pretty slim. Um, you know, wh- wh- why? Why continue? But he just shows that, you know, for guile and for, for racecraft and for knowledge and everything, he's still top of the, still top of the tree. Yeah, absolutely. And he seems to be uh, – how much uh, How much has he talked about how much he likes the 450 over the 350 that he'd been riding? Um, he switched to 450 last year. I think he went back and forth but ended up on the 450 for the most of the year. How much has he talked about that and, and the improvements to the bike? Because I know he wasn't – he wasn't super stoked on the bike, uh, and I, you know, when I heard some of the th- same things from the guys over here uh, that for K- the, for motocross, the KTM 450, 
not always the greatest bike, but has he talked much about that, being happier with it? Not too much, because he was messing around between the two bikes in 2015, and then, you know, he got hurt, broke his arm. Mm -hmm. And then by the end of the season, I think the last race was in Glen Helen, he was already testing the 450 for 2016. Yep. Um, he was working on some electronic stuff, I think, you know, with, with WP a little bit on the rear shot. Um, he didn't go into too much detail, but then last year, of course, you know, he had a crash pre-season. Yep. I think he broke two ribs. Uh, he had some nerve damage in his shoulder as well. So that kind of really set the tone, and he said all season long that he just didn't really have the strength to, to you know, to ride the 450 to its capability. Mm -hmm. At one point, it got so bad that he did kind of wheel out the, the 350 again. Yep. Um, and if my memory serves me correctly, he got a podium or he won. Um, so it's a bit like a case of you know the the old couple <laughs> are back together because yep. he won four titles on that that bike. But you know he he, re he realized pretty quick that you know you need the 450 power. I think with KTM's development on that motorcycle. Uh, just made it much easier to ride. The same for Glenn Colden, off his teammate, because last year I think he had a pretty tough, you know, adaption process to to get that bike working. And uh, this year, the, the the KTM's have been strong at the start. Um, you know, both riders have commented how much kind of easier the bike is to ride, and you know that's that's kind of paying off. Um, Jeffrey Hurlings, let's talk about him because um, I'd really thought that I know he came into the opener with a with a hand injury. But I was very surprised. Okay, so I gave him a couple of weeks with a hand injury, but he was far off the pace. And then he continued to be far off the pace and said, you know, this class is harder than I thought it would be. These guys are great, which is really weird to hear from Jeffrey. But, okay, so I was like, what's going on? Like, what's happening? And then, you know, when he doesn't do that great in Italy and Mexico, I'm like, oh, man. Like, I, I'm, again, I don't know how bad his hand is, but he, his streak at Volkenswagen came to an end. Amazingly, I thought he would win. I really thought he would win there, Adam, at Volkenswagen. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't. I, I didn't think he would win at that point because I just think he. I didn't think he had the confidence or maybe the mindset to do it. I think he. You know, he would get a podium. I think he's all along. I think he believed this season would start there because MXGP started with four flyaways and he was hurt. I mean, his mm -hmm. hand was the size of. You know, a huge, huge apple in Qatar for okay. the first race. Yep. So I was kind of, I was kind of believe he was trying to get through those flyaways, and like the first European kind of GP happening in Italy, and then yep. on hard pack, which is you know not, not yeah. super well special for Jer for Jeffrey, but then also going to Holland, that would be a time for him to kickstart things. Uh huh. So he was making kind of some strange noises. He was saying, you know, like <laughs> he really he was. He has a bit of pressure because. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like Febrer and Geiger came in, two riders he had comprehensively beat in an MX2, and they'd won the championship in their first go. So there was like a little bit of that sort of spotlight on him as well. Well, mm -hmm. Erlington, I mean, look how he performed at the Nations. I think that gave him a little bit of right. um, false sense of security, perhaps. Uh, you know, but by all accounts, he was really flying in preseason testing as well until mm -hmm. he got this hand injury. So. You know, I think we're going to see still, I mean, the next two Grand Prix again on like old school, bumpy, hard packed, rough tracks. Yep. So I'll be very surprised if Jeffrey runs away with it in Germany next week and then in France in two weeks' time. But, um, you know, he's a guy that's now entered into sort of the leading group, if you like. Yeah, yeah. Swept Latvia, uh, Sandy, Sandy Ur track, uh, not Valkenswad Sand, but Sandy Ur track. Um, so do you think this is is he is he fixed quote unquote is he better now and now and now regardless of like I'm not saying double moto wins but is he now going to be in the mix hard pack sand no matter what he'll be in the mix with Geyser and Caroli do you feel? Yeah, yeah. For the title and whether he's got that consistency to match Kairoli's level that that's another question. But he he's going to be figuring every week now. Um, you know, I think Jeffrey is kind of, I think he's, he won't say it or admit it perhaps, but I think he's such a confidence rider. Mm -hmm. And ever since he came into the MX2 class, he has been fighting for, uh, for victories or podiums. Yeah. I mean, I, guess, I think it was in 2015, um, you know, he was having a bit of a crisis of confidence, even though he was an absurd amount of points ahead in the championship, <laughs> just because he wasn't beating people as easily as he thought he would do. Right. And, you know, that, that's, that's got to be, you know, I mean, that's, that's got to mess with your head a little bit when you roll into the paddock, you're expecting to win. And then suddenly you find a bit of resistance, and whether it's Valentin Guillaume or I don't know who who yeah. else. Been Dylan Ferrandis was one of his opponents then, you know. So I think all that kind of confidence and momentum he built up, it kind of came a little bit to a crashing halt at the start of this year, and he had to get his head around that. 
I think he's done that now with the sweep. Mm-hmm. I think after the first race in Latvia, you could see on the TV that his relief was kind of palpable. Yep. Um, you know, and, and Welcome Swad was the start of that. But watch him go. I think, you know, again, a young rider, only 22, he's 23 in September. Yep. So, you know, he's, he's definitely going to be another one to watch. Uh, Roman Fabra, what has been going on with him? What is happening? That is the question. I mean, I think, you know, he's getting a little bit tired of coming to Grand Prix and getting generally saying, Roman, where, where, where's the result? <laughs> What's happening? But, right. you know, I think pre-season again, you know, I mean, a lot of the teams use, um, like, the Italian Championship, which is a three-round series, and they do it all, like, in, in the depths of winter, at the end of January and February. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one is on Sardinia, and then they go to the main Italy for two races. And, and Roman had a crash there, um, and there was kind of talk of a concussion, he kind of knocked his head a little bit. Um, I do wonder if, you know, since that moment, he's been kind of really struggling to get that Yamaha working and to get a little bit of flow going. You know, as always, Steve, it's just the same situation. You get a guy who posts a couple of good results and then he seems to get up and running. But, um, you know, Febra hasn't really had the yeah. start and just hasn't really had the speed to even, you know, make ground. But that's what it goes, well, saying about the metal gate again. That's, that's such a big thing. Remember, yeah. GP this year, the mantra from all the guys is just how difficult it is to get back like in top 10 positions. If you start in 12, then your chances like getting top eight, top seven is just so difficult. That's partly because of the tracks, but then also because, you know, everyone's running at such a high pace. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting that Hurlings in Hurling in, in Holland said he couldn't believe how much everybody was on the limit. And that's <laughs> yeah, kind of a, a thing yeah. you sort of an observation you make in MX2. Right. So. Um, yeah, it's uh, from what I hear over here, he hasn't been happy with his bike. You know, and but I mean, how do you? Okay, yeah. I understand he hasn't been happy with his bike. I get that, but he's well off the pace of what he used to be. You know what I mean? So I don't know how much you can point the finger at the machine that really hasn't changed all that much. You know? Yeah, I mean, there's one. I've been working quite a bit in MotoGP as well, and it's interesting that in that paddock, you know, riders don't hesitate to say if something's wrong with the bike, mm-hmm. or they, you know, if there's something some kind of technical issue, then they will talk to the press like, you know, there's, right. there's no tomorrow. And I think it's still a little bit more reserved, kind of in MXGP. I don't think a rider will sit there and say we don't have the bike sorted; it's mm-hmm. not working for me. Um, I think Conan de Sal perhaps is another little reference for that mm-hmm. because you know we've yet to see the kind of rider that was so powerful on the Suzuki you know, in Kawasaki colors. I mean, he's there or thereabouts, but he's, he's not streaking ahead and winning motos like he used to do. Right. So I do wonder, I think he's comfortable on that Kawasaki, but is he completely happy with the setup? Right. He's another, he's another one in that group. Uh, did Goche Paulin just have to get away from Roger Harvey to win GPs again? Is that what happened, Adam? He just has to get away from Roger? <laughs> no, it's, you know, you know, Roger, I don't think that. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course, I think, but... I think Roger was, but look, but it was Roger funny was because the least of the problem. yeah, no. When I talk to people, they're like, "Hey, he doesn't like the bike. The bike doesn't suit him. You know, he's not. You, you know, he so, he he signed as Honda's you know number one guy coming off the Kawasaki, and then he immediately said the bike was he wasn't happy with the bike and this and that. And and going back to what we were just talking about, I think Goche's win this year and resurgence a little bit, third in the points. Maybe he had a point. I'm not one of those guys that always buys that kind of stuff. I hear it all the time over here in, in the in the pits. But perhaps there was something to the Honda not fitting Gochi Poland. At the moment, it's a, a bit of a strange situation because his only win on Honda came in Balkanswide where he went 1-1. Mm-hmm. And so far, his only win on the Husqvarna is exactly the same track with exactly the same result. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gotti has been riding well and looking a little bit more like the guy we saw on the Kawasaki a couple of years ago. So I think there's there's also a lot more that he's going to say in this championship story. Right. But, um, you know, I mean, I did an interview with him um, in Balkanswad, and, you know, we talked for maybe 30, 40 minutes, and he was really candid. I mean, half of the interview, he said, please don't write this, which is kind of <laughs> difficult when you, you, know, you have to write an article. Right. Uh, but, you know, at one point, I was quite surprised, because at one point he, he pretty much broke down and said, you know, last year he got to such a point with, with his riding that he wanted to stop. Um, and to see a rider kind of that emotional about it mm-hmm. said a lot. Says a lot for how much he is motivated and really into it. Yeah. Um, and also kind of a little bit how he felt trapped. Um, you know, I don't. He, he just couldn't really do what he wanted with that Honda, and mm-hmm. you know, which is bizarre because you think you know HRC must be one of the the teams with the biggest set Absolutely. of resources yeah. in the paddock. So 
it's just one of those situations where I, I think two parties don't gel, where in the beginning it was seen as a bit of a dream team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, J&B even was there and all of that. So, um, yeah. let me ask you this. He's gone from the team, isn't Yeah, he? yeah. Let me ask you. So, is Balbrushev, is he over with Geyser's team, the Garibaldi guys? No, yeah, Garibaldi kind of assumed control of HRC. Okay. Yeah, that's that's kind of the right. setup. So Bobby's contract with HRC, you know, means, you know, it's just a personnel change, really, a okay. setup change. Yep. Um, but, you know, the way Giacomo kind of runs his team is, is <clears throat> you know, I, I think it's fantastic. You know, he's a very, a guy who pays a lot of attention on people. Um, you know, there's a, a better vibe, I think, around that show, but... It's a complicated dynamic in HRC because sure. the Geyser family are very much a family operation. It's like almost a team within a team. Uh-huh. So, you know, if things are not going too well, then that can lead to some kind of, you know, strange atmosphere going on. Right. So the thing is, you know, HRC have such a good rider on their hands, and Bobby is the perfect number two, mm-hmm. um, yes. you know, who always posts some good results. Uh, but, you know, it's one of the things that could be a bit volatile sometimes. Yeah, Bobby's pretty drama-free rider, you know what I mean? I feel like, anyways, I feel like he's just doesn't complain too much and tries his hardest, and, you know, it is what it is. Well, he's quite topical, Steve, because his first, his only GP win in the class was 2011 in Germany, which is where MSGP goes next, next mm-hmm. week in Tuchenthal, so... You know, maybe it's timely that, uh, you know, he pops up again for for another victory because he's overdue. I mean, he's another rider that's just had terrible luck with injury. Yep. But I think, you know, 2011 was the first year on a factory bike, so he's had a good good run in HRC colors. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of testament to his character and the way he is to work and the way he tests the bike and, and pushes the bike. So he's valuable to Honda, you know, apart from being like a top five guy. Mm-hmm. Hey, thanks, everybody, for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis podcast on RacerX. I want to talk to you a little bit about Racetech. The folks at Racetech have been uh, on board with us for a long time. And use the code PULPMX17 when you're checking out to save money. Get your suspension done, please. Come on. Give your bike some love. All right? If, if you're looking to get the most of your bike suspension, get Racetech's proven lineup of suspension components and services done at the headquarters in Corona, California, or at your local Racetech service center. And check out the helpful guides on Racetech.com and pick up a do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Things have been around a long time. Also, too, Racetech doing engines now. Valve jobs, porting, honing, decking, and more. Whether you're looking for a rebuild or a high-performance upgrade, Racetech's engine services department experience, staff, and state-of-the-art equipment have you covered. I can vouch for that. I've seen it myself. Give Racetech a call and mention Fault Mex for a special discount. Please, check them out. Thanks to the guys at Racetech. Hi, Randy Richardson from Michelin here, and I'd like to thank the Pulp MX Show listeners for your support and share some information about Michelin motorcycle tires. Michelin offers motorcycle tires for everything from cruisers to sport touring, sport bikes, and adventure touring motorcycles. And as we celebrate our 10-year anniversary of our iconic partnership with Harley-Davidson, you'll find Michelin Scorcher tires on an increasing number of factory-equipped Harley-Davidson motorcycles. New for 2017, Michelin introduces the new benchmark for sport bike tires, the Michelin Power RS, featuring many of Michelin's patented technologies, all of which contribute to the incomparable grip, handling, and flickability of the Michelin Power RS. I just want to hear the motocross stuff. Fair enough. Let's focus on the Michelin Starcross 5. Because the Pulp MX Show listeners are important to Michelin, we're going to continue to sponsor Steve's janky radio show. That's right. While I'm not like some people who say, I know everything, I do know a few things about motorcycle tires, and I'd like to share some of the key features and benefits of the Michelin Starcross 5 tires with you. And I promise it's not a bunch of corporate blah, blah, blah. The Michelin Starcross 5 tires are specifically designed for use in a broad range of conditions and terrain. They're available in sand, soft, medium, and hard versions, and are offered in 21 size and fitment applications. Yeah, you like that? In addition to the exceptional performance and durability, the redesigned architecture of the Michelin Starcross 5 features a bead profile that makes the tires easier to install. And everyone knows... Easier mounting, always a good feature. 
If you're riding on Michelin Starcross 5 tires, but you have friends that are still buying other brands, please tell them. No, 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 no. Encourage them to try a set of Michelin Starcross 5 tires. And if you haven't tried Michelin Starcross 5 tires yet, you're out of your mind, dude. Visit your local dealer or online retailer to purchase a set of Michelin Starcross 5 tires and install them on your bike. Who knows? They might just help you learn to do a backflip in a day. It worked for the Doom Goon. To learn more, visit MichelinMotorcycle.com and follow us on Instagram at Michelin Motorcycle. I hate to break this to you, Wheeler, but 2017 will once again not see a world champion for the Union Jack. Uh, Sean Simpson hurt. Max Anstey hurt. Uh, how their season's been going besides the obvious injuries? Yeah, Tommy Sell as well. Um, he pinged a, a knee ligament when he was training in the U.S. Um, so, I mean, I think he might actually be back in the next round in Germany. Oh, okay. I Just thought he was out for a while. He's been riding for two or three weeks now. Okay, I thought he was out for a while, but no, okay. Yeah. Well, Simpson, Sean's going to be out for, I think, until the Italian Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. So I think he misses three rounds. And Max Anstey missed two, if my memory serves me correctly. He was back in Latvia, but he's been pretty good for a rookie on the 450. Yep. Um, he's got that kind of technique, which is always very hard on a 250, but on a 450 where he's got more than enough power to play with, I think it, you know, it's, it's made him refine the way he rides a little bit more. And he's looking good. But, yeah, I mean, the thing is, Steve, it's a good question because uh, this year, at the end of September, we know where the motocross of nations is going to be. Yeah. So, you know, most of the British riders, all of the British riders, are going to be thinking, okay, and I need to start showing some stuff because, you know, that's in the back of everybody's mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, they're doing the cliched focusing on the next race, focusing on the next week, but there's still going to be a big, big, big race coming up where they, they want to be one of the, of the three, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Dean Wilson's got his eye on it again. Uh, I understand that uh, there's a new team manager, so Dean Wilson's got his eye on it over here. Yeah, Mark Chamberlain, um, you know, a really experienced guy has been mm-hmm. his whole life in the sport. So it's a pretty shrewd move, you know, because Mark's, again, someone I think is very good with people. Um, but, yeah, for the team, I mean, you've got to be looking at Dean. You have to see if Tommy Sell can come back and show something. Uh, Simpson will come back and show something. Well, Max Anstey, I mean, he was he was born quite close to where the track is in Winchester. So he's mm-hmm. the definition of a home rider. So it'll be interesting to see who the you know Great Britain pick for the 250 spot because right. you know you'll have guys like Ben Watson, Conrad Muse, Adam Sterry. You know, there's uh, there's a few kind of options there. Right uh, over here in America, it's been an absolute garbage year for the JGR Suzuki guys. They switched from Yamaha to Suzuki, and Barsha's hurt. Then he came back and he's probably not performing where the team wanted to. Pike was performing but got hurt. Jake Weimer's been okay. Uh, their 250 guys never seen the track. Bichelia, uh their fill-in riders done okay. It's just been a disaster for JGR Suzuki. And in a way, Wheeler, the Stefan Everett's uh, RMZ, uh, Suzuki team with the brand new 2018 RMZ 450 that everyone's excited about. Strybos and uh, Jaskonis. I don't exactly know how to say it. Jaskonis? The... Uh, yeah, you nailed it. Okay, I got it the first time. Uh, Strybos has been hurt. Jasconis is okay, but uh, it has it's been rough year for Stefan and the uh, Suzuki guys over there too. Yeah, I think it's um, it's still a transition kind of time for Stefan. I mean, he's trying to get things sorted out behind the scenes as well. Last year was the first year. Um, this year, they're kind of honing things a little bit more in terms of you know how they want the team to work. There's new personnel in there in terms of mechanics and technical feedback and stuff. They've mm-hmm. got a brand new bike. Um, he's got Jeremy Sewer under a deal for next year. Okay. So Sewer's like fighting with Paul Jonas for, for the MX2 title. Uh, he kind of ages out for 2018, uh, so he's going to be jumping on a 450 Suzuki next year. Mm-hmm. And Jesse Connors is, again, like, you know, I, I mean, he's tall. I mean, you've yeah. got a basketball in his hands and he can change sport. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's uh, he's done pretty good, you know. I mean, he's what you'd expect from a rookie. I mean, he yep. drifted out of the German championship. Stefan picked him up to fill in right. um, injury-wise last year. He's 20, he's 20 years old. Mm-hmm. And I think the team and Stefan, from what I hear, are pretty impressed with the speed and the application he's shown because forever. The important thing is he's a rider he can work with. He's a rider that will follow his, his, his program to the T, yep. you know, without any kind of questions. So that that's also something where Stribos is the complete opposite. I mean, you're talking about a 31-year-old veteran of the sport who doesn't need to be told where to go or what to do. Yeah. Um, he's got his own kind of like schedule and ideas. 
So you, next year, I think you'll probably just see Jesse Connors entering his second year in mm-hmm. MXGP, and you'll see Sua jumping in. Right. But, um, you know, Justin Barsley has been linked. That's that's one American rider I've heard names mentioned quite a bit in the paddock. But, you know, it's just uh, whether he wants to make the move over and if people can afford him. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that. So have you heard him linked to Suzuki over there or, or somebody else? Justin Barsley. Yeah, Suzuki. Yeah, Suzuki. I mean, that would be the, the most obvious link. But, I mean, contracts up this year, I think the Sal is up at Kawasaki and mm-hmm. 68 as well. So you've got two KLT spots. Um, guys was pretty sorted in at Honda. Um, Yamaha, I think, have Febra for another year. Maybe yep. also Van Horbeek. Yep. There's not not too many spaces around. I think Holdenhoff is up at KTM. Uh, Kairoli's there for another year. Kairoli's yep. also. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they... But, you know, the way it works in KTM is that Tony has the Italian setup run by Claudio Di right. Cali. Yep. Within, like, again, the team within the team. So him and, and Glenn are in one side of the awning. And then Jeffrey's in the MX2 kind of side where he was before, but just with a factory 450. Yeah, it's very. Uh, so I think very, I don't think that would change too much. It's very odd when you tell me about Geyser's setup and things that I hear and know, and then you tell me about Caroli, uh, uh, De Carli, and Caroli. Of course, have been magic together, but then Hurlings wants to be the number one guy. It's a very all of those dynamics to me, Wheeler, are very strange when it comes to how it works there compared to how it is over here. Yeah, I think it's just a cultural thing as mm-hmm. well. I mean, Cairoli's been with with Bicali since 2004, and I don't think their their track record shows any reason for change. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a it's a very fortunate example of two guys, you know, developing a friendship and a working relationship. That obviously, works. And for Jeffrey, it's the same gig. You know, with Dirk Rubel leading the MX2 team, people like Valentino Ragni, his mechanic, kind of you know Wayne Banks. I mean, all those yeah. guys there are people that he's known for a number of years. And when he's dislocated his hip or he's broken his femur, then they've given him like this kind of support setup. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, even though the rumor is he had a chat with Honda about signing for them, um, I think he, he, it would have been tough for him to leave that kind of setup. Right. Um, so, you know, there is, a, there is that kind of stuff into play. Yeah. Before we get to MX2, I don't have a lot more time left, but uh, what's your biggest surprise, good or bad, either way, in MXGP class so far this year? Wow, biggest surprise. Yeah. What do you think? Um, again, I, I'm waiting for guys like Roman Feber on the Fat Yamaha, Clement de Salle, yep. um, you know, Max Nagel to pick up their level. I'm surprised that you know we haven't had a little bit more kind of, of a dispute going on for, for race victories because there was a point, like you say, where guys just seem to be running away with it. Uh-huh. So, you know, those those guys need to kick something up, something. I mean, there must be some meetings and testing going on to, in, to improve the level for those guys. That's, that's right. been a little bit of a surprise for me. Um, in terms of riders, uh, again, Anstey's been good. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, he's been riding that, that Husqvarna pretty well. Um, Arno Tonis as well looks fast. I mean, yeah. he's, he's been the, the classic definition of a rookie where he'll be nowhere in the first mode, but then suddenly pop up with yeah. like a fourth in yeah. the next one. Yeah, you're right. Um, so... Yeah, Tonus so, has yeah, been, I mean, been, been Tonus has been a bit of a hard guy to figure out. You're right about that. Absolutely. Um but he's got the technique, Steve. I mean, you know, Mitch saw it and you know, Mitch Payton and mm-hmm. you know, I think if he had, had maybe another year in, in Supercross, then he would have shown some more stuff as well. But you know, Arno just seems to be unfortunately one of those guys when he goes down, it, it, it seems to pay for it in a big way. Um so lots of motos left. Who do you like for the title? Geyser or Caroli? Because I think, I mean, obviously, I think it's coming down to one of those two. Anything can happen. But what do you think? I, I said at the start of the year that you know, it, it, for me, it's Caroli. Mm-hmm. I think you know he was coming off the back of two like shaky years, um, and the and in preseason races he looked untouchable. So I, you know, my money's still there. I think you know that guy absolutely has first-hand knowledge of, of what to do to get a title. And you know, I think number nine will be will be you know in play by the end of the season. Yeah, that'll be great. Um, That's my money. Right, MX two. <laughs> let's touch on that. Uh, KTM's been waiting for Jonas to grab this rain and, and and improve, and he's been the guy along with Sewer in MX two. Um, they've been both been riding pretty well. Uh, what's the what's been the your take on the battle between those two? 
yeah, I mean, they're the sort of two guys tipped for the title there in MX2. But, you know, you have to remember that it's like a completely open field after is, six yeah. years of, like, hurling domination, you know. Uh-huh. So, I mean, Jonas won his first, uh, I wrote it the other day, he won his first GP in, in Qatar this year. And since then, he's won, like, half of the moto. So mm-hmm. he's, he's kind of opened the floodgate, so to speak. And when the when the, the championship went to Qatar for that first round, I I wrote also that there's only one guy who had won a GP from the whole field. Yeah, it's crazy. So you basically got this whole gaggle of like you know buzzing wasps or whatever, like trying to you know get in the honeypot. And mm-hmm. um, you know Thomas Covington was the only guy before who had like GP winning experience. So you've had surprises like uh, at the first round it was Jonas versus Matarell, and that that was pretty much what everybody thought. Right, that's going to be one of the key battles for the championship along with Sua. Mm-hmm. But then Patarell, for you know, he's had a couple of crashes, hasn't had the start, and he sort of faded away from from the top of the championship. And it's just been between Sua and Jonas, and it's it's, it's hard to call between those guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jonas has a fantastic motorcycle. I still think Sua's struggling a little bit to get the Suzuki away from the gate. Right. Um, so that could be the difference as, as it goes on, because Jonas, I think, already has a 42-point lead. That's almost a whole GP. Um, you know, that's just going to build up and up. But then you've had a few surprise packages coming, Steve, again, like Jorge Prado winning his first GP at 16 years of age. Um, you know, who else has been performing well? You've had, like, Thomas uh, Charleston, yep. you know, the EMX 250 champion from last year. He's a rookie. Uh, he won last week in Latvia. So you're getting guys that are kind of like uh, coming out of, of the ether, you know, just uh, yeah. popping up and getting results. I was going to ask you about Olsen. So it's it's I, kind of fun. I didn't know anything about Olsen. I didn't know anything about him from Denmark, the kid who won. I'm just like, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was... <laughs> He's in Jackie Martin's team, you know. Okay. So this guy, obviously Jackie Martin, former world champion. Um, I mean, he's he's been he's helped push talent through, like you know Max Anstey, Roman Febra, he had Jake Nichols on the team. Yeah. Um, so Paul Jonas was on the team as well. So he's kind of famed a little bit for helping young riders and helping yeah. them reach a new level. And also, he's just like you know, he's a tall guy. I mean, the first kind of rider from Denmark since Brian Jorgensen to really make an impact on, on oh, GPs. and forgot about that. Um, yeah. To me, I, I don't think he has... Yeah. forgot about Jorgensen. I don't think he has much of a, many weaknesses. Right. So, um, you know... You know because, I think he's, he's going to be one. Because of who Thomas Covington is, there's a lot of flag waivers over here. Uh, people love it. And, and, and he has. He's put the bike... He's won a moto, and he's put the bike on the podium. But, dude, you're that old... In that class, on that bike, and you're eighth in points. I'm sorry, that's you're underperforming. That's all there is to it. There's no other way around it. Um, so I know that may hurt people who are listening to this show, their feelings, because they think he's awesome. Somebody asked me if he should be on the MXDN team. I'm like, I about blocked the guy on Twitter, Wheeler. I'm like, he's eighth in the points. He's on a factory bike. He's 23. He should be w- doing way better. Do you agree? Is he 23? I thought he had another year. In oh, world. I thought he was 23. Maybe he's 23. Not, anyway. Yeah, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I think his level is higher than it's ever been in GPs. Mm-hmm. You know, I think he's he had some time. He needed some time to get his head around the whole transitional thing of moving to Europe, like a lot of kind of American riders do. But, um, you know, I don't think there's, you know, his season's not going that badly, Steve. I mean, he may be eighth in the points, but I, I guarantee he won't be eighth coming into the season. Wow. Because, you know, he's looked quick and he's looked a lot more kind of, he's looked a lot better than he has done in previous years. Well, Daniel Sinai, who... And he broke an ankle you know, or something last season. Daniel Sinai, who, you know, rode the uh, EMX class, is only like 30 points behind him. And this is his first time in, in MX2. The class is set up, Wheeler, that if you're older and you have more experience, you should rise to the top. It's, it's set up that way. And when you have a great bike like Thomas, you should be doing better. That, that's all. I just, yeah. I don't know. He'll be there. All right. Okay. And this, um, we're still waiting, still waiting for the Canadian to come across. Oh. Just need, need a fast Canadian. <laughs> you saw him at this Nations. You saw what Benoit could do, Wheeler. <laughs> um, hey, before, yeah. we, before we wrap this up, uh, big news over here. MX Sports and Ustream have agreed to not just continue to bag on each other. Um, we've, we, we all know the USGPs haven't been that great over here. Charlotte was okay, though. Um, but now we're moving to Gainesville with some MX Sports help. I don't know how much that'll convince the non-monster riders to show up, but maybe it helps. I mean, what's what do you hear over there about the MX Sports Ustream agreement and uh, one USGP a year, and we're locked in, and 
you know, the, the folks at MX Sports are going to cooperate, of course, and, and Racer X as well, who, you know, this podcast is going up and who I freelance for. Everybody loves everybody, Wheeler. <laughs> it is. It's a big loving. It is. Can, can yeah. I use this opportunity to make my my own shameless plug? Yeah, because go ahead. In the, the last um, the, la- the last issue of Oso, I did an interview with uh, David Longo from Ustream. Uh huh. Um, yeah, it's kind of like a feature on the David, you know, and David Coombs as well, MX Sports. So I got some exclusive stuff from them. And um, you know, it, like you say, it's everybody's pretty happy with 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 the other party. Um, you know, I think it's I don't know kind of how enthusiastic or how prepared people from Gatorback, you know, Cycle Park are going to be for a Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, and also there's a tight time frame because Charlotte was cancelled around the time of Qatar, which was the end of February. So they've only got like four, well, five, six months to get this whole thing rolling. Mm-hmm. Um, a key ingredient, like you say, is going to be, you know, which AMA teams and riders can get on the bill. But I think, you know, this is the best chance the USGB has had to kind of, you know, get a footing and prosper. Sure. I yeah. mean, there's, there's no other way to, to, to kind of address it. I mean, if you haven't got, if you, I mean, David Coombs, again, in the interview, in the story, just said, you know, he floated the idea with, with uh, you know, the OEMs at a meeting in the winter about doing a USGP at the end of the national schedule, just one extra race. And he said there were six yes votes in the room. So, you know, if there is, and if Roger DeCosta is, you know, obviously on the KTM payroll, but mm-hmm. you know, if he thinks it's something they can do, they can fit it in, then it's already looking a little bit more, I don't know, uh, positive than it has been before. Okay, Glen Helen is a world-famous motocross track. Charlotte was a new experiment, but then you think if you're going to somewhere established in Florida, mm-hmm. which I think for me is the biggest kind of um, question mark over this race, you know, having something on the East Coast, um, you know, what kind of crowd and what kind of reception is it going to get there compared to California, then, uh, yeah, it should be cool. I mean, the USGP is always something that's is, is looked forward to, you know, yeah. inside the paddock. The riders, the team, it seems to be one kind of expensive trip that nobody minds making. Right. Um, right. You know, and uh, there's, I think people have been kind of mystified why we've, we've come to Glen Helen and that there really hasn't been that kind of crowd. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, let's, let's see what happens at Gatorback. I'm, I'm hoping something cool does happen because the Nations looks like it's going to come to the U.S. next year. It sounds like so, it. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the Glen Helen folks oh. who have three Anaheims or two or three Anaheims in a San Diego and a National, but they see all they need to see of the top Americans. And when they hear there's, no, there's going to be very few top Americans at the USGP, and it's in September, which is very hot. They just don't. They yeah, don't feel the need to go much. out. Yeah, that too much. And ticket prices weren't exactly cheap either. And I think they were just. That's it. They don't want to see it. So I think moving to the East Coast is is a good thing. I think it will. It'll work better than Glen Helen. I just don't know how much, but it will work better than Glen Helen. So that's good. I think you'll also have there's a little bit more political weight behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I yeah. think you will see, you know, KTM putting their riders out, Husqvarna putting their riders out. I mean, somebody like Wilson, if he's, if he's going to be picked for the nation's team, then why not ride that event? Because it's, you know, it's going to be only a couple of weeks until he has to come over to the UK to ride for, for, you know, Team GB. Right. So, you know, I think, you know, there, there is some potential there to kind of get more leverage on the entry list. Yeah. Um, but, no, it'll be good. Does, does, does this... Are you going to make it? Are you going to go? Yeah, I think I'll go. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't. I haven't been to Gainesville for years since 1999, so I'll go to Gainesville. Um, so I think I'll go. What about a GT? I'm looking at the schedule, Wheeler, and I can go to Russia, but I don't feel safe going to Russia. Despite we had Russian Bobby on the show, <laughs> we we had Russian Bobby on the show maybe a month ago, and he said he'll pick me up and be my bodyguard. I still feel unsafe going to Russia. You know. Um, <laughs> I don't think they'll let you in, Steve. Even with a Canadian passport, they're not going to let you in. I don't know. Hey, with this new MX Sports Ustream thing, does this mean MX Jeff backs down his articles a little bit, do you think? Is that included in the, in the peace pack? Uh, Jeff, Jeff's, always, Jeff's always happy. He's always got a, a positive spin on things. So, you know, he'll keep on keeping on. Um, no, honestly, Adam, yeah, I am looking to see the schedule. I need to see it. I would like to get over there, for sure, for one, you know. Um, I, just need to look I don't think Roger Harvey's going to let you come into the HRC hospitality, though. Why? Because of the pollen comment? When he is there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nah, he's fine. Yeah. He'll never hear this. <laughs> Nobody's ever going to listen to this. Um, all right, Adam. Uh, everybody, please check out On Track Off-Road Digital Magazine. If you want to see somebody that uh, can write 
like no one else. It's Adam Wheeler. It's it's fantastic prose each and every two weeks. Uh, uh, I wish you you should actually just ghost write, write my stuff. You must look at my stuff. I turn into you and be disgusted, Adam, that because you're such a good writer. And, no, and, not I'm at all. Ter- and I'm terrible. No, it's perfect American English, Steve. It's, you know, <laughs> and I always, uh, I'm sure I turn a shade of crimson with your constant compliments. I thank man. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thank you, Adam Wheeler, for doing the Fly Racing Racer X podcast presented by Alpine Stars Protect. Uh, appreciate it, man. And yeah, let's uh, let's stay in touch. And uh, thanks again, as always. Cheers, Steve. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And McGill was all, you know, he did the big pancake thing. Right. And, right. and he's got the thing. He's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. Absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, you know. And I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride and you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. Hey, hey.